welcome to the Muskegon History and Beyond podcast from the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Jennifer Reeths, and today's podcast will examine the short history of Muskegon's oil boom. Muskegon's oil boom lasted for a very brief period in the county's history, but it was a key financial boost that helped Muskegon prosper in the decades following the decline of the lumber industry. As the lumber boom in Muskegon began to decline in the 1880s and 1890s, many of Muskegon's lumber barons began to look for new ways to generate business revenue. One product that many of them looked towards was brine. Brine is salty water that is located underground. Michigan has a unique geologic past that led to the business of brine. 500 million years ago, Michigan was covered in an ocean that shrunk into a shallow saltwater sea, much like the Caribbean is today. Over millions of years, the land changed and the water evaporated, leaving behind minerals such as gypsum and halite. For those of you who are not geologists, halite is the mineral that we use to make table salt. As time went on, fresh water trickled into the ground and mixed with these minerals to create brine. Brine, when pumped to the surface, can be left out to dry. This process evaporates the water and leaves behind salt that can be packaged and sold. In Muskegon, John Torrent was among the first businessmen to build a pump to bring the brine to the surface. Along with the brine, oil also came up through the pump. The presence of oil was noted, but without any high-value use, it was discarded. With the development of the combustion engine, oil became a much more profitable commodity. Geologists and businessmen alike believed that Michigan had large quantities of oil. The first region they targeted was in Saginaw, Michigan. In August of 1925, an oil well in Saginaw began producing large quantities of oil, about 23 barrels per day at the start. That number leveled out to 13 barrels a day for the first three months the well was active. Not the greatest quantity of oil, but enough to make a profit and to put Michigan on the map as an oil-producing state. However, other wells drilled around the state from 1925 to 1927 would prove unsuccessful. Near the end of 1927, it looked like Michigan's oil future was bleak. It seemed like every spot prospectors drilled was unsuccessful or only produced small amounts of oil. Prospectors began to look for sites that had previous success with brine, as the same rock formations usually led to oil as well. Muskegon was one county where oil had been found while drilling for brine. This caused prospectors to look at Muskegon County for possible oil well sites. Two of these prospectors were Charles Myler and Stanley Daniloff. The two were brothers-in-law, and together they formed the Muskegon Oil Company. Working off of a tip they received from a geologist from the Dixie Oil Company, Myler and Daniloff drilled a test well in North Muskegon on the farm of Charles Reeths. On December 8, 1927, at a depth of 1,640 feet, the well found natural gas. Drilling further, they reached a depth of 1,700 feet and struck oil. At the start, the Reeths 1 well was producing 330 barrels of oil per day. Eventually, that rate settled in at 50 barrels of oil per day. This discovery of oil was certainly good, but it wasn't the only factor that positioned Muskegon to be an oil boom location. Muskegon, having its location along the lake and its existing shipping and rail infrastructure, made it an ideal location for oil production. Prospectors came from across the state and nation to try their luck at an oil fortune in Muskegon. The Dixie Oil Company, along with the Muskegon Oil Company, 
followed up their Wreaths One oil well success with a second successful well on a 200-acre area that they had purchased. At this point, the Muskegon oil boom was on. By February of 1928, there were 10 companies in Muskegon dedicated to the search for oil. Four months after the initial success by the Muskegon Oil Company, Muskegon area wells were producing upwards of 1,000 barrels of oil per day. The crude oil was being shipped across the state by the Dixie Oil Company to their new refinery in Saginaw. The drilling also included natural gas wells, which Muskegon Traction and Lighting was able to utilize. Muskegon Traction and Lighting had been advertising the manufacture of natural gas to the greater Muskegon area. With the new wells being drilled, they were able to make more than 1 million cubic feet of natural gas available per day for consumers. Muskegon took note of this new industry. By the end of 1928, the Muskegon Chronicle reported an estimated 1,000 people involved with the oil industry. The Chronicle further reported 70 active drilling rigs in the area, most operating 24 hours a day. For the workers, days were long, with most shifts lasting 12 hours, but wages were good. Drillers received about $2,600 a year, and tool dressers about $2,340 per year. The Chronicle estimated that oil had led to an investment of about $2 million in the area, with an additional $1 million in the current drilling operations. In total, from a 1932 report, close to 700 oil wells had been drilled in the Muskegon area. Some were more successful than others, but together they created a financial success for a city that was still struggling to find industry in a post-lumbering world. With the view of history, we were able to see that this success came at a crucial time. The Great Depression would begin in one year following the oil boom. While the active oil wells declined over the years, Muskegon's oil boom left a legacy that is still felt today, and it's not necessarily a good one. Environmental concerns over the oil and natural gas industry linger to this day. A study done in 2010 mapped the locations of 621 abandoned oil and natural gas wells in a 28-square-mile area that includes Lakedon, Muskegon Township, as well as the city of North Muskegon and Muskegon. These wells, with a depth of up to 2,000 feet, are often left uncapped. This means the oil and natural gas can seep up into the surrounding area. The map, published in 2010, shows many of these wells hidden under the ground of residential neighborhoods, wetlands, parks, Muskegon Community College, Baker College, K-12 schools, pretty much everywhere. Not all of these old wells will cause a problem, but when they do cause a problem, it can quickly become an environmental disaster, especially when you consider that many of these areas rely on well water. The biggest area of concern comes from a refinery that was owned by Zephyr Oil. This plant was and still is located by the Muskegon River, close to Bear Creek, right off of M120. This large site opened in response to the Muskegon oil boom and continued after the oil flow slackened. At the refinery, they produced gasoline, heating oils, and industrial fuels in a process that continued until the 1960s. The area was then used as a terminal for oil pickup and for storing chemicals. 
However, even with later safety measures, oil and other pollutants were still able to get into the groundwater and the Muskegon River. By 1996, the cost to the company to attempt to clean up the site was too great, and the state and federal agencies had to step in to aid and take over the containment and cleanup. In 1998, huge storage tanks were removed, and 43,000 tons of polluted soil was removed as well. Wells were put in to pump out and clean contaminated water, and this helped but didn't eliminate the problem. In 2018, a major milestone was reached with the restoration of a wetland habitat bordering the lot on the Muskegon River. Cleanup work is still ongoing, but the site has seen immense progress over the years. The oil boom in Muskegon was crucial in an era of county history that needed a big financial success. However, the era also created an environmental legacy that we are still dealing with today. In fact, one of the wells on an orphan well list compiled by the state, which means wells that don't have any clear owner and are usually the uncapped wells, that list includes the Reith's 1D well, a well that was drilled in August of 1928 on the farm of Charles Reith's. That is it for the podcast today. Thank you for listening and join us in two weeks for the next episode. 